Sorrow clutches at a limp soul, threatening, choking, killing joy. Silently, coldly, it rakes its talons across with no guilt. With no beginning and no end, it haunts and racks a hollow victim. It seems no fight will quench the thirst. But then joy, like water in a dry well, springs up. Beaming, burning, it fiercely fills us up, bursting with it, drowning in it. Spilling and overflowing, the joy of the lamb washes away sadness. Lapping against the strengthened walls, it pours over the brim. Restoring a soul once parched with grief, joy overcomes. Hear me? There we go. Sorry about that. How's everybody doing? All right, good. Well, welcome. We are in week three of Before Christmas. We're following the Advent calendar, and this week we're going to be talking about the shepherds, in particular, joy. We started in week one talking about hope. We went to week two, which talked about love, but this week we talk about what we call the shepherd's candle of joy. Now, the a lot of you have read the Christmas story. You know the Christmas story, particularly about the shepherds, but not all of you have. So today I want to give you my twist on the story and, and what it is. So here we go. You and I are out watching our sheep one night, um, you know, like we do, and uh, suddenly out of nowhere, a bright alien starts talking to us. Now, I get it. Some of you are grabbing your Bible and you're going, hey, wait a minute, Jason. I read the story and it doesn't say anything about aliens in there. But I would remind you of a few things. Number one, the word alien simply means messenger or angel, sorry, means messenger. Uh, number two, we had like 30 to 40 years before we wrote it down to figure it out. And number three, we were minding our own business. He showed up out of nowhere and he ain't from the neighborhood. Alien. <laughs> This alien, the first thing he says to us is, don't be afraid, I bring good news. To which we say, whew, because he could have just as easily said, take me to your leader, which is bad news, right? And then the alien begins to tell us, hey, I want you to go find a baby. It's wrapped in blankets in somebody's feeding trough in their barn. Now, before we call Child Protective Services because somebody's raising their child in a feeding trough, suddenly the lights in the sky brightens up with a bunch of singing UFOs. To which you say, Jason, that's not in the story either. But I would remind you, they're up there, they're flying, and I don't know who they are. UFO, all right? <laughs> After their little sky concert, we pack everything up and we go to find this baby. Why? Because when shiny aliens and singing UFOs tell you to do something, you do it. You don't ask questions. You just go. And after that, the story says we went around the hillside telling everyone about what happened that night. Which, of course, landed us on the front page of the local newspaper. You can see the headlines, you know, local shepherds uh, see shiny aliens and singing UFOs. You know, drug tests coming. Uh, perspective is everything. Especially when you're telling a story, perspective is important. What we're actually going to find out, and I encourage you, read Luke chapter 2 if you want to get the real story. But you will have a lot of fun telling your kids and grandkids about the singing UFO story. That would be fun. But perspective is everything. These angels brought a message 
to these shepherds. And our understanding and our perception of what that message is and what it means for us is immensely important in understanding why the birth of this child was so important. And so today I want to dive in to find out more about this message that they bring. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2. It'll be on the screens and it's in your worship guide as well. In Luke chapter 2 verse 2 or verse 10 it says this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now, this sounds good at first, but we're really left with a couple of questions we need to work through today. The first one is this, what is this good news that they're bringing? And the second thing we need to ask is, what is joy? Because joy is a common word. It is a word we can use in our everyday language, but do we really understand what joy is? Do we really have a grasp of joy? In particular, I want to ask the question, what is a biblical definition of joy? What does the Bible have to say about joy, and why is it important? And I think one of the reasons it's important is this. Many of you have people around you, or maybe you're struggling through it. Not everybody has joy this holiday season. Not everybody is experiencing joy. So let's ask the question, what is joy? Well, first I want to dive into understanding the ancient Greek and understanding a little bit about what the word and where the word came from. The word joy is a word we call hara. It is rooted in two other Greek words that are important. The first is this, haris. And it is the word throughout the New Testament for grace. The second word, the word root, the root of joy comes from is haro. And it means rejoicing. Now, why this is important. This is really neat because it paints a really cool word picture for us. And that's simply this. At its core, joy is rejoicing in God's grace. Joy is rejoicing in God's grace. And ultimately what this means is that joy is not a human-based happiness that comes and goes, but rather joy is divine in its nature. Essentially what I'm saying is this. True joy comes from God. True joy comes from God. Now hold on to those words for just a moment, and I want to look now at a more contemporary, a more modern definition, and we see something really cool as well. I want to go to Webster's Dictionary real quick and look up the word joy, and what we see is this, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, particularly that last part, possessing what one desires, because you know what? It forces us to ask an important question we need to ask, and that's simply this. What is it you really desire? What is it you really want? What is it you're truly chasing after? Is it sex? Is it a career? Is it money? These are all temporal things that come and go, and when they go, what are you left with? And the answer is nothing. Which is interesting because this is the opposite of joy. We often think the opposite of joy is sorrow or sadness, but it's not. The opposite of joy is emptiness. 
We keep trying to fill a God-sized hole with anything other than God. And when those things rust, or when those things go away, or when those things disappear, we are left with nothing. Because real joy only comes from God, and only God can fill a God-sized hole. This is the good news that the angels were bringing This is why the birth of this baby is so important. What they were saying was this, God's grace is here and there should be great rejoicing. God's grace has arrived and it's available to all. But not all of us are living in the good news of God's grace. Not all of us are experiencing joy in our lives or during this holiday season. Why not? Today I want to talk about three things, there could be many, but three that I see more often than others that often rob or steal our joy. And I want you to ask yourself, am I struggling with any of these and are they keeping me from experiencing the joy and the freedom and the life that God is calling me to this holiday season? The first thing that so often robs us of our joy or steals our joy is shame and its partner, guilt. This Christmas season, if we're being honest, God often looks a lot more like Santa Claus than he does Jesus Christ. I mean, we've all heard the song, right? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's? That's right. Naughty or nice. God's keeping score. And if you don't measure up, you're going to get a lot worse than a lump of coal. That's how we see God sometimes. And as a result, we see our lives with shame and guilt. Watch this video with me, if you would. Ah, Christmas. The time of year we celebrate the birth of Santa. Oh, I mean Jesus. Oh, oops, sorry about that. Those two have so much in common, I'm afraid I often get them confused. I mean, we usually think of them as both having beards and being surrounded by happy little children scurrying about. They both have quite an uncommon last name that starts with C. And what's with all the nicknames? They both have a ton of nicknames like Father Christmas, Prince of Peace, Saint Nicholas, Emmanuel, and so on. Speaking of names, does anybody else find it odd that they both somehow know everyone's name? And not just that. I hear they both like to keep detailed records on all of us. But they both seem like pretty generous guys, which is probably why we flood both of them with wish lists and then desperately hope they come through for us. The more I think of it, though, I guess there are a few important differences. For example, I don't think Jesus was known for wearing velvet, but Santa seems to be obsessed with it. Plus, no one has ever accused Jesus of breaking in through the chimney and eating all the cookies. In the end, I keep going back to Santa's naughty or nice distinction. If we're being totally honest, we'll probably find ourselves hoping Santa isn't too strict, or at least we hope he's grading on a curve. Jesus, on the other hand, came because none of us are nice enough. Of course, we keep trying to convince others and ourselves otherwise. Ultimately, Santa is about me and the stuff I so desperately want. But Jesus, is about something more, the grace I so desperately need. Come to think of it, maybe they don't have that much in common after all.
So many of us are living with shame and guilt, but my dear friend, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. God's grace is enough, and God's love and his mercy and his kindness is big enough to take care of any problem you may have. God's forgiveness can cover the sin of any dead-end road you may be going down. You are God's beautiful creation, and he wants to restore you. He is not going to judge you by your past for those who believe in him. Your past is gone. Your past is dead. You are a new creation. You are defined by Jesus Christ. You are defined by his mercy. You are redeemed. You are holy. You have been set free from the past. You are a new person, and you are not to live with who you are. You are to live with with who you were. You are to live with who you are. Amen? Amen. You don't have to live with shame and guilt as a Christian, and we're not called to. What is it in your past that's keeping you from experiencing the freedom you've been called to? Because it's stealing your joy. The next thing that so often steals our joy during the holiday season is this, fear. Remember that verse in Luke 10, first thing the angel said is, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. But there are so many of us that live out there with a great deal of fear and a whole lot of anxieties. And I get it. Life has its fair share of problems. There are uncertainties around every corner. But as Christians, we are not called to live lives of fear either. We are called to trust and obey God in everything we do. I love this verse from Isaiah 41. It says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Who's going to strengthen you? Who's going to uphold you? God. But how often do we rely on ourselves for that? How often do we put our trust in ourselves for that? Real joy only comes from God, and we are called to trust and obey him for everything. Fear is about the unknown, but joy is about the known. God loves you. Fear is about what hasn't come, but joy is about what has come. God is with us. Joy tells us there is hope, that God is in control, that he is with us, that he will strengthen us, he will uphold us. We don't need to be afraid. God is with us. Joy reminds us to trust God in all that we do. What are you afraid of? What anxieties do you have that are keeping you from experiencing God's joy in your life? The third thing that so often can steal our joy is sorrow. Sorrow, despair. This time of year, the holidays only seem to magnify our emotions. If you're feeling lonely, there's an even greater sense of loneliness you experience during the holidays. If you are a grumpy person, you are even grumpier in the holidays. And yes, we notice. (laughs) If you're dealing with sorrow and affliction, you have a heightened awareness of this sorrow during the holidays. And if there's anything we typically try to avoid in life, it's sorrow and affliction. But but don't we know that when you fail to grieve, 
when you fail to work through the sorrow, you deny yourself the opportunity for God to transform you through that sorrow. Years ago, I was reading a book from Francis Schaeffer, and he said there's two themes, like, like music, there's two things that make their way through the gospel. There is the major, which has to do with hope, love, and life, and there are the minor that deals with suffering, loss, and affliction. Schaefer is a fan of music like I am, and he realized in music, there's a couple different types of music. There are major keys that sound a lot like this. They're bright, they're airy, they're fun, and life's that way too sometimes. But he also mentioned, we know that there are minor keys in music, and it sounds like this. It's darker, it's heavier, it's sadder. One of the things I've noticed over the years is that Christians avoid or don't sing a lot in the minor key. We often avoid the somber. We hold suffering in low esteem. Why is that? I think to some extent, sometimes we see grieving and, and sorrow as a sign of weakness. Particularly men, we're told growing up oftentimes, grown men don't cry. And yet as I read in the scriptures, I see that Jesus wept. And you say, how do you know that? And I say, because of the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. As a kid growing up, this was my favorite verse on Bible Memory Verse Sunday. <laughs> and for those of you out there that say you have trouble memorizing verses in the Bible, this one is for you. <laughs> say it with me. Jesus wept. There, you just memorized a verse. But in those two words is a profound truth. Jesus felt deep sorrow and pain just as we do. Jesus understands what we are going through. And there are seasons in our life when we need to grieve as well. I think another of the reasons we don't grieve properly is that many of us are in too big of a hurry to get to closure. And what I mean by that is in our fast-paced lives, we like quick answers and we like quick solutions to what we are doing and we don't often give the grief the time it needs to perform the work it needs to perform in our lives. We don't grieve properly and we ignore it. We push it aside. We pretend it's not there. But how many of us in life have learned that just because you push something to the side and just because you ignore it does not mean it goes away. At some point, you're going to have to deal with it. At some point, it's going to rear its ugly head. You can't just shove it away. It's still there. And when we do this, we fail to understand that we have to work through and do the hard work of grief if we're going to be healthy. And that's what Francis Schaeffer meant when he was talking about the minor key. He said, like, nothing else suffering disrupts us. Suffering and pain in our life all too often doesn't make an appointment. You don't always see it 
coming. It's a surprise. And when it does, it has a tendency to expose all sorts of things underneath the surface of our lives. And I want to propose something to you that may be difficult. And that's simply this. When suffering comes and it exposes all sorts of things beneath the surface in our lives, God is in that. I did not say God sent that. I said God is in that because God can use moments like these in our lives to awaken us and see things we have never seen before to stop us in our tracks and show us areas of our lives that need to be worked on. It's in our places of pain that we see the world as God sees it. Suffering interrupts our status quo and it can open the doors we've never seen before. In our brokenness, we can see how far we are from beauty, fellowship, health, and freedom we are from the life that God was calling us to. And essentially what I'm trying to say is sorrow can be a doorway to joy if we will allow God to use it. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, and I don't want to make light of it in any way at all. In this past year, you may have lost someone very dear and very close to you, and I'm so sorry. You may have been given a medical diagnosis you were not expecting and you did not want, and you're working through that. Maybe you've lost your house, your car, your job. There are all sorts of interruptions in this life that can shake us to the core. But I want to remind us of something, something important, and that's simply this. The joy that we are offered is not a joy that is free from tragedy, illness, bankruptcy, divorce, depression, or heartache. Our joy is rooted in the realization that God's grace is enough, that true joy comes from above. It does not come from our circumstances, and we must trust that God can give us sustainable joy even in the midst of our suffering. We have to hold firm to the realization that God is here, that God loves us, that God is with us, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. He understands what we're going through. His love is bigger than any problem we may have, and his peace is sufficient to conquer our grief. God can use suffering to make you more and more like him. And we have to trust him in that process. So what are some real steps we can take to begin moving towards a life of joy? Now notice I didn't say, what are some steps we can take to have joy? Because I don't think I can give you real quick steps and say, hey, now you have joy. This is a process. This is a journey. And these are some things I want you to begin working on And as you work on them over time, more and more you'll move to an understanding and knowing God's joy in your life. For that first step, I want to ask you a simple question. And and that's this. When was the last time you were truly amazed by God? When was the last time You stood in awe of the ineffable. When is the last time 
you experienced the indescribable. We get busy in life, don't we? And there's a lot of distractions. When's the last time you looked at a sunrise and said, wow. I love little kids at like two, three, four years old. You ever watched them? Their eyes, the entire world to them is just full of amazing and wondrous things. And they, and they ask things, they say to mom, they're like, mommy, mommy, look, look. And they go, daddy, what's this? Just full of questions and wonder and awe at everything around them. When do we lose this? When does it go away? I love this verse in Psalm 65. It says this, The whole earth is filled with your awe and wonder. But when was the last time you were filled with awe and wonder? When was the last time? It is in being reminded of the awesomeness of God that we see ourselves for who we are. It is in seeing the bigness of God that we recognize our smallness. It is in being in awe that we drop to our knees and remember a simple truth, and that's this. God is God, and we are not. God is God, and we are not. When was the last time you were amazed and in awe of God. Because what we find is when you are amazed and in awe of God, it results in absolute thankfulness and gratitude. Let me ask you another question. Have you taken the time to thank God for all that he does in your life? <clears throat> and, and, and not the big things per se, because sometimes those big things can be a distraction. When's the last time you thanked God for the little things in your life? <clears throat> our breath, our life, the green grass, that terrible white stuff that falls on it. your house, your family, your food. But even more importantly, when's the last time you thanked God for His grace, for His mercy, for His kindness and His love? Or do our prayers all too often look like a to-do list for God? Here's what I need, God. Get it done. Or do you pray at all? I love this quote from Eckhart. It said this, if the only prayer you ever say in your entire life is thank you, it will be enough. It will be enough. Joy comes from thanking God and an awareness of what's all around you. And behind a lack of thankfulness is forgetfulness. We forget who God is, and as a result, we forget who we are. Which means this, thankfulness is a cure for pride. Do you give God thanks in all of your circumstances? 
Do you thank God for the little things as well as the big things? I love this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want you to try something in the coming week, and maybe it'll seem silly to you. I've had some people do it around me, and it's really been helpful. I want you to take time throughout this next week, whether it's in your car when you turn the radio off and it's just quiet, or maybe you're just lying in bed there in the quiet, or all throughout the day. And I want you to deliberately take time to thank God for all the little things that's around you. Because we'll find that when we spend that time thanking God for everything that's around us, we become God-centered in what we do rather than self-centered in our day. And what happens is when we stand in awe and amazed at God, and as the outpouring of that produces gratitude in our hearts, it results in a life of praise. We praise God in all that we do. But there's a central truth about praise and worship we have to be reminded of, and that's simply this. We praise and worship what we most enjoy. In life, we praise and worship what we most enjoy, and we want to share it, too. When you hear a piece of music that moves you and you love, you take it out and you tell everyone, hey, you got to hear this piece of music. It's awesome. Or when you see a great movie or a great show, you, you go out and you tell people, you're like, you got to see this. This was really cool. When was the last time, though, you told someone how awesome and how cool your God is? When's the last time you went out in praise and worship and told others about this God that's at work in your life? We praise and worship what we most enjoy. What is it you most enjoy? I love this verse from Exodus 15. It says this, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. I mean, can you hear the writer's amazement? Can you hear his thankfulness? He's left with nothing but praise and exaltation to God. How about you? How about you? Because what we find out is when we stand amazed in the presence of God, an outpouring of gratitude in our hearts results in rejoicing praise. And we live a life in the joy of God's grace. It leads to joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control. Remembering to thank Him for everything and the determined choice to praise God in every situation, no matter what. And where do we go from here? Back to here. We must constantly in our lives be in awe and amazement of all that God is doing. 
that must be outpoured in genuine gratitude and thankfulness for all that God has done, which results in a life of praise and glorifying God in all that we do. And when we do that, we will experience the joy that God wants us to experience so much. We must continually be doing this throughout our entire life. Which gets us to our so what moment. The word advent means the coming. It is a season of anticipation. Things come and things go. In week one, hope came and despair left. In week two, love comes and complacency leaves. As we look at that verse in Luke chapter 2, we're reminded what the angels said. They said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And what that means is this. When Christ shows up, fear must leave. When the good news arrives, shame must go. And when true joy appears, it transforms our sorrow. I love this verse in Psalm 3011. It says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. My dear friends, Jesus is coming. What needs to leave in your life this holiday season for you to experience genuine joy? For some of you, you simply need to take that first step and say, what needs to leave in my life is doubt, and I need to believe. And I simply want to offer you this one thing. Would you entertain the thought today that there's something out there bigger than you? That this world we live in, this universe we are in, is not one big cosmic accident. That there was a creator and that this was created by a plan. And if there's a plan, there's a plan for you. And would you take that step this holiday season to believe? I'm not asking you to believe in everything we believe in. I'm not asking you to agree with everything I say. I'm just asking you to entertain the thought. There may be something out there bigger than all of this. But for some of you, you're living with fear and anxiety. And some of you, you're living with grief and sorrow. And for others of you, you're living with shame and guilt. And it's robbing you of the joy that God wants you to have this holiday season. And I want you to take steps in the next few days, next week, month, whatever it may be, to begin that life of living the joy that this baby brought in the first Christmas. And so I leave all of you with simply one question we've already asked, and that's simply this. When was the last time you stood amazed in the presence of God? Because your journey starts there. Let's pray. Dear Lord, May we never get too busy, too complacent, too distracted, that we fail to stop and recognize this amazing God at work all around us. May we never be forgetful 
of all that you are doing. Lord, help to reveal those things in our lives that are keeping us from experiencing that real joy that this baby brought. Help us to live in the understanding of your grace available for all and experience that peace beyond all understanding. May we all, Lord, discover that joy that only comes from above. It's in your name. Amen.